If you're always on the go like myself and don't have time to sit down and read, Audible.com is a great source to be able to catch up on the latest bestsellers. Listen to it while on the road or at the gym. Audible.com is a leading provider of premium digital audio information and entertainment on the internet. Audible content includes more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Audible carries Audible books in every genre imaginable business, classics, history, self development, just to name a few. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook of your choice and a free 30 day trial membership. Just go to audible.com slash replay and choose from over 180,000 audio programs. Download a title for free and start listening. It's that easy. Currently, I am listening to the classic One Fish, Two Fish, Red Fish, Blue Fish. One Fish, Two Fish, Red Fish, Blue Fish, Black Fish, Blue Fish, Old Fish, New Fish. Okay, that's、This、genius. Go to audible.com slash replay. That's audible.com slash replay and get started today. Peter, would you like to introduce Dean? Or I certainly can.、Uh, Dean runs a newspaper called、oh, The New York Times. Yes, indeed.、Uh, he's had the job for a year and change, and we're going to talk to him about what that job is like and what he thinks is going to happen next.、Absolutely. Dean, come on up. You like Don? I can I do, do that for you. I'm just trying to avoid intimacy with you, Dean. <laughs>、um, just, you know, all the New York Times thing you got going on here.、Uh, you know, I work for the Wall Street Journal and the Washington Post, and I work for the New York Times. I feel it's、there's、a great still, failing on your part. There's still time. No. Why don't I call, I call you? I, we can't afford you now. You、right? can't afford me.、That's、exactly.、Um, and I like Jim Bankoff a whole lot.、Um, so I'm going to start. I had various questions I was going to ask because I got so many things I want to talk about. I'm talking about Amazon, the New York Times, what it's doing digitally. And I first thought I was going to ask you what grade you give yourself in the past year, but I don't want to do that right now. I want to give you a little <laughs> quiz on your social media practices. Because、okay. you're the head of the New York Times, you put, off, put out this report, this 912 page report on how your reporter should tweet.、Um, I want to talk about your own, because you're the leader of this company that's got to、mm-hmm. change and move into this era.、Um, you Twitter? No. No. I have maybe twice. And why not? not?、Really. Yes, it is twice, actually.、Um, I would be lying. <laughs> I would be lying if I said it was for some philosophical reason, but it's for time.、Uh-huh. It really is. I just think you don't have time don't. to tweet. I don't, I, here's, the, here's the life of, a, of, a, of an editor. Actually, my life consists, it's a great life, but my life consists of being on the phone, talking to reporters,、um, sitting in meetings with editors, and sort of absorbing what they have to say.、Um, I'm not convinced. That I have as much to say on my own.、Mm-hmm. And so, I, so I'm, I'm not, so, I don't feel as compelled. I'm active on Facebook. So I heard about that. I heard your most recent one. <laughs> that one no, okay, I, I would complain, but I say fuck you to people all the time on, fa- on let's, Facebook. Let's spell it. Dean called someone an asshole. An asshole? I did. He was. And then made headlines and, yeah, and probably、was. some tweets.、Um, I did and he was. So you but, use、uh, Facebook.、Yes. I guess、uh, since you don't tweet, I guess GIFs are out. Right. Right.、That's、okay. Right.、Uh, you don't spend your time making them. That's right. Do you、uh, Snapchat? No. Why? Because it's for the kids time, or time? time All right. Time, Do you periscope? No. Vine? Time, time. All right. I'm getting a little thin here. Meerkat? No. <laughs> no. But I want、uh, my staff to. Blog? You,、no. you want your staff、no. to. You want your, your staff, staff to do this stuff. Blog? Okay. Do you write、uh, long letters with feathered pens? I do write long letters with feathered pens. I have an electric typewriter. <laughs> right. And、okay. a manual typewriter. So、too. the reason I'm asking that is how do you, 
If you're leading a newspaper into the next, the future, a lot of people think you need to use social media. You need to understand it and, and understand it and to use it. Mm -hmm. um, do you think that's true? I mean, how are you going to get your newspaper doing I that? I don't think that's true. Okay. So I think I think the job of of a modern news editor, which I am, is to lead an, is to lead a newsroom in coverage, to lead a newsroom through change. But I think leadership is the most important asset. I think the most important thing I can do every day in the newsroom of the New York Times is to come in and talk to the New York Times reporters and editors about covering the migrant crisis. I really do. And I think that anything, to be perfectly frank, that I do other than that is secondary. I think that's my primary job. I don't expect everybody to agree with me. But I think my primary job is to make sure we are better than everybody else at covering that. When we're not, that's my failure. But I think that's my main job. So who at the Times does it? Because there is this thing called the internet that people, the young people, the millies, the millennials, they're called millies now, mm -hmm. um, which I love. Uh, they're <laughs> using. So who in, who in the New York Times is pushing that forward? Because you can't ignore these trends of how no, people no, read I, and, and how I, you make and stories. And, and a huge, let me back up for one, for one second. I think, I think one thing I would say about the New York Times is we are a usually successful digital business. I mean, the New York Times has $400 million in digital revenue between advertising and its subscription model. So I'm going to argue, and, and, a, and a lot of those gains have been over the last couple of years. So I'm going to argue that those gains are the result of the quality and they're the result of us being vibrant and competitive. And keeping it that way is my most important job. But just like there are people in the newsroom who focus on foreign coverage, there are people in the newsroom who focus on Washington coverage, and I expect those people to know more than I do, and my job is to lead them, my job is to help them, is to be in the conversation with them and help them pick their shots, I would say the same thing about the digital life of the New York Times. There's a whole audience development operation which I support created um, and I'm, to be perfectly frank, I think my job is to lead them. I don't think my job is to necessarily do what they do. So I don't want to beat this in the ground, but that, that mm -hmm. audience report, the internet report that, mm -hmm. that came out right around the same time that you took the job, right. uh, May of last year, said so one of the problems that the, the, the Times had diagnosed about itself was we, we take for granted the notion that we make this awesome journalism right. and that that's enough. Right. And while we've been doing that and sort of ignoring the digital world, the BuzzFeeds and Vox Medias and Business Insiders and Huffington Post of the world have come up very fast right. and in some cases passed us. So do you, first of all, do you agree with that assessment? I don't, think, I don't think the report, I do agree with the report, but I don't think the report said that the Times newsroom ignored the digital world. What I think the report said was that, in fact, I think the report said the Times newsroom was creating good digital journalism. I think what it said was, that whether it was history, arrogance, head in the sand, whatever, that we didn't realize that the audience was no longer going to come to us and that we were going to have to go out aggressively and find an audience. And, and the report was correct in saying we had failed to do that. And I think we do that now. So how, let me assess those organizations that have come up, the, the BuzzFeeds of the world. The Huffington Post has been around a lot longer. Um, how do you look upon them? What do you? How do you? Look? Do you consider them worthy adversaries? Of do you dismiss them? First or? off, as a as a journalist who care, who knows who's spent who's been in. I, I'm still thinking of some of the previous speakers who 
who I'm thinking, I started in newspapers at 19. Um, I have friends in newsrooms all around the world. I love the fact that BuzzFeed hires them. I love the fact that BuzzFeed thinks it also has an obligation to cover the world and to have a foreign staff. I don't look down upon them. I'm thrilled to have the competition. What I care most about, I care most about that there is a world of journalists who cover the world, who struggle to understand the world. I look at Vice sometimes and I say, I want to learn how to do that. And I look at Vice sometimes and say, I wish I had done that story. I don't, I, I don't look down upon them at all. We're different, but a good editor steals from people. I, I assume they steal some from us, and I'm going to steal some from them. I, don't, I certainly don't look down. I think it's great. I think it's terrific. I do. Are, you, are you making things differently, given the, the notion that a lot of people may never pick up a newspaper uh, anymore? Yeah. May, some of them may not even visit the New York Times homepage. They it's get it changed, through Snapchat. It's changed the whole, I mean, it's, I mean it, it's stunning how much it has changed the newsroom. I mean, we, when I became executive editor, and I'm, I'm not taking credit for this, I think the newsroom was waiting for this, but when I became editor, we still sat down at the 10 o'clock meeting, the famous two front page meetings, and talked and started the process of all day building a print front page. And a tremendous amount of creativity and energy went into And that's building. what you got credit for internally, right? If you landed yes, the story on the home that's page. that's right. So one of the, I, I think one of the most important things we've done over the last year is to say that can't be the measure of success. We barely talk about the print front page in those meetings. We talk, and, and, and it's made us better. We talk about coverage. When I come in in the morning at the 10 o'clock meeting, um, I, I, don't want, I don't even want to think about what the lead of the paper is going to be. And that's a dramatic shift for us. I want to think about what are the three or four biggest stories we're going to cover? What are the best ways to cover them? Is the best way to cover it with a video? Is the best way to cover it with a traditional narrative? is the best way to cover it to explain it. What does the New York Times have with its resources that day to cover the biggest stories of the day? I don't care at 9, 30, 10 o'clock in the morning what the lead of the print paper is. I don't, even, I don't even sit in the meeting anymore in the afternoon where the print front page is chosen. Another editor runs, and I did that intentionally because I, I don't want the newsroom to think that all I care about is the print front page. So another group of editors picks it. I, I, one out of every 200 times do I second guess him, because I think that's nuts as a leader. And then we start talking about the next stage report. And that's, that's a big deal so for is us. There, I mean, it's interesting the way you're talking about it, because a lot of people know the front page is done. I mean, the idea of a front page, even a front page of an internet portal, even the front page mm -hmm. of a website, they just people don't go to them that way. They come in all kinds of ways. Mm -hmm. But when Peter but people to, still, by the way, people still go to our homepage mm -hmm. pretty. I mean, we still have one of the most visited homepages. Absolutely, but it's, it's, it's an but increasing it's less, inaction. Sure, absolutely. absolutely. So when you're thinking like that, how do you motivate your reporters? Because that used to be the way to do it. And then how do you, what he was getting at is how do you create stories differently? Because you're essentially doing the same. It's not, and I happen to like it, and I read it mostly mm -hmm. online. I don't think I've picked up a newspaper since 1992. Mm -hmm. um, but, um, but I They're I read, still there. They're like. I you know, know they're, they gather dust everywhere I go. I use them Good. for painting. Um, so the, I still like the New York Times itself, but how do you think about changing the way you format things? Because it really is still rather traditional in how you present stories and how you're doing you know, it. 
beyond um, snowfall, which I think we've no, all... less than, I mean, it, it's funny, snow, snowfall is, I mean, snowfall was as much a psychological breakthrough for, for at least my newsroom as anything else. Not, and, and just, you know, talk about it, because I'm not sure it's quite, um, it was a great piece of journalism, it was terrific, but, but what happened in snowfall is for the first time, somebody who was building a digital presentation, Steve Duenas, who, who is a genius, who runs what used to be the traditional graphics desk and now runs multimedia, he walked into the sports department and he said, are you game to build your story around what I can do instead of me building, building around what you can do? And their first reaction, and as a former reporter I get this, was, are you out of your mind? But then they got it. That story was built around what he did. Snowfall may have been this ginormous thing, but actually that calculation I described, that's more day-to-day -day now than it is. It's dated, it's on small stuff. So when you're saying psychological, meaning they went, ooh, it moves, or what, what was the? No, I think it's, it was like, it was psychological in the sense that a writer, I mean. That the graphics matter as much as the writer. Not, that it, not only that, but that the graphics, and we did the same thing with our, with our Katrina story of a week and a half ago. It was that the writer does not have to rule. That the writer can actually step back. It happens with Michael Kimmelman's reviews now. Michael Kimmelman now writes. He wrote his review about the new Whitney around the multimedia. That's a, I mean, you were The writers. notion that some organizations would call is that the product is driving yes. Uh, yes. The, the story. I would put it different, yes, that's right. That's yeah, right. I mean, I think maybe in this room that wouldn't even be a controversial no, idea, right. but maybe at the Times it still is. Um, are, there, are there other sacred cows that you're, you're goring at the Times that you feel like you've got <laughs> the opportunity to sort of change things now? I think our, and this, this is something that I would, I would, have, would have not embraced 10 years ago. I think our relationship with, with people outside the newsroom is different. I think that I've come to understand over, this is my second time running a news organization. I think I've come to understand the role of product differently. I think I've come to, come to understand that product is part of me too. Um, I think I've come to understand that technology is part of me too. I think that I've come to understand that there's a whole, I mean, maybe for the next generation, which many of you are part of, this seems odd, but in the world I grew up in, and in the world that created the New York Times, and by the way, that the, the creation of the New York Times is a big thing, because I think the New York Times is, I've, I can say this because I've worked elsewhere, is still pretty great. I think that that rule, there was a big fat wall between the newsroom and everybody else, doesn't make sense anymore in, 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 in the modern The newsroom and the business side, specifically. The newsroom and everybody else. The newsroom and the business side. The newsroom and circulation. The newsroom and product. The newsroom and technology. I think that we now understand that that's sort of nuts. So do you think you need to be a business person? Do you think a journalist, I, I think journalists need to think entrepreneurial, if not you know, I don't like the word reporterpreneur because it's awful. Mm -hmm. um, I've never even heard that. Well, yeah, there you go, one. Dean. Oh, Take it back man. to the New York Times. Let's not Dean. use that word. Just Snapchat that or something. I think so, that, I think no. here's... <laughs> I want you to Snapchat so badly. Do you want reporters thinking about whether yeah, or not their stories are popular, whether yes. or not their stories are making money for the organization? I don't want... Well, let me... Here's, here's what I think. I think that in the era I grew up in, um, 
editors did not have to think about the company as a whole. It, they didn't have to think about, about the commerce and the success of the company as a whole. I think that that went on too long. I think that was a comfortable position when we had a 30% profit margin. I think that went on too long. I think, I think the difference between this time as an executive editor and the first time I was a, a managing editor 16 years ago is that I now do think of myself as, I think of myself as primarily the executive editor whose job it is to ensure the quality and the integrity of the report. But I also think of myself as somebody whose job it is to preserve the New York Times, which means I do think about advertising. I do think about the New York Times as a business. That does not mean that I drop the wall and sell ads. <laughs> But it does mean that I think about the whole of the enterprise. I do and is that care. just on you, or do you want that all the way down the masthead, I down want, to the reporters? I want everybody on the masthead to think of the New York Times and its survival, and to think of the New York Times as an enterprise and a company. And I think you can do that without crossing the line. I've never crossed the line. So when you think about that, let's talk about the business of the New York Times. Now, mm -hmm. you don't run the business That's necessarily, right. but you've got to be deeply involved in mm -hmm. the concepts because of the survival element. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting word. Um, how, do you, how do you assess the business of the New York Times? Are you worried about, you know, Jeff, we'll talk about Amazon in a second, bought uh, the Washington Post. You know, you poss there's issues around the New York Times as finances and possible cuts and things like that. You might be 15 minutes away from Eric Schmidt in some way, you know, like he's close to bringing his bag of money towards you. Mm -hmm. uh, he's got several. You know here. something I don't know. <laughs> love telling the New York Times, I think. Um, but do you, what do you worry about in that regard? You know, I mean, I'm because you could end up, that could be in, listen. Yeah, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not Pollyanna, but I actually think, I'm, I'm actually fairly confident in the business of the New York Times. First, I think, that the, New York, that the one thing the New York Times has proven, and we proved it when we hit the one evidence of the proof, is when we hit, hit the one million paid subscribers. I think quality pays. Quality sells. I think people want to read the New York Times. I think they read our best stuff. I think the Amazon story, which is an example of our best stuff, attracted literally millions of readers. I think they come to us for that stuff. I think they come to us for high quality, high impact stuff. They come to us for our political coverage. Do I think the New York Times has financial issues like all media institutions? Absolutely. But I believe firmly, I'm confident, that quality is gonna sell. And I think if we can hold on to that, which by the way, most news organizations have not been able to, I'm, I would argue, um, I think few people would argue with me. So why will you be able to do that? I mean, their number, math is math, and ultimately. First off, look, think, think, think about something stunning. <laughs> and, I, and I can take no credit for it, so I can. The New York Times, I, I worked, I was the editor of the LA Times, mm -hmm. which went from having a newsroom of 1,200 to having a newsroom of 400. I think they made a huge mistake. They didn't understand the importance of quality. The New York Times newsroom, we have the same number of reporters that we had at the New York Times newsroom when I was a reporter in the 1990s. You know, one of, because you guys have said that a few times, and I think oh, one of my colleagues uh, at Lee's back there said, you know, you guys are going to have to shrink the staff, and we brought up the idea that the staff is the same size. One of your reporters sent me a direct message on Twitter and said, that's not true. 
there used to be a print staff and a digital staff, and you aggregated those two, it was a much bigger number than it is today. So it's yeah. a smaller staff. No, well, it's not a smaller staff. It's a different staff, but they're the same number of reports. Same, same aggregate number of people working at the Same times. aggregate number of people. What the, what, but the population of the newsroom has changed dramatically. When I started, there was no video. Graphics were the you know, 10 guys who did the fever chart for the, there's a, the, there a huge multimedia. There was no such thing as a producer. It's hard for you all to imagine. Mm -hmm. When I started, and so it's a very different population, but it is the same number of reporters. And do you think that number can stay constant, or do you think you're inevitably going to have to make cuts? I think I don't know if we're going to have to make cuts. To be honest, I think any modern editor who says he or she is not going to have to make cuts is is kidding themselves. I do think that Mark Thompson and Arthur believe in the mission of the joint. I also think the only the only thing we have to differentiate us from everybody else is a big, robust newsroom that covers stuff. I'm gonna, I'm gonna point one, one thing out. Go grab 10 news operations, digital and print, for the last week, and look at the migrant coverage. And I'm including your old paper, the Wall Street Journal. Mm -hmm. And I'm including, I'm including I the I hold FT. no responsibility for that. But, I'm, but take a look at all of them. And then take a look at the New York Times. And I'm going to argue that the thing that we have that differentiates us from everybody else is two or three pages a day of people risking their lives, full-bodied stories, video, multimedia, and, and huge, ambitious journalism that nobody else is doing. So that sounds great. I would like to work at the Times and work on that stuff. I'm not, I'm not applying for a job. But do you think the readers we can, care? We can, I, we, we'll off, off stage. We can't um, afford her, but I'll give, we'll talk. You, you know, know what? Talk. <laughs> I mean, can you, can you cover yours? Let's no, see, because see, you've but, tried at least seven times in miraculous. But this, is, but this isn't a more public right. Oh, we don't go. Go. Do you think the readers distinguish, though, between the stuff they see in the Times, especially in a world where they're getting that stuff through Facebook or and it's something that's been shared, it's someone, another site is aggregated yourself. Do you think they distinguish think that, that and every, understand that it came from the Times? I think that people understand that the Amazon story came from the New York Times. So let's I think my job, by the way, is to make sure that the percentage of stories we do is very different. My job is to do as many Amazon stories as possible and to do fewer and fewer of the traditional stories that probably don't work as well as the bundle disintegrates. But my job is to produce a lot of Amazon. So in that Amazon, a lot of millions read it. I suspect, now this is just happens to be a Vox story, which I liked a lot, but Ezra did a very good synopsis of the Amazon yep. story, which I think probably got more mm. traffic, possibly. Got I a lot. Bet, I bet Wireless got like upwards, of, I'm going to get this wrong, like four million. But I'm saying I'm you're doing sure. all the heavy lifting and <laughs> others take advantage of that. I got three stories out of your Amazon story yes. that week. <laughs> they were you should pay me, man. <laughs> I could pay you, you at a CPM. But yeah. um, so let's I talk do, but do... I think I think I think the Amazon series identify with the New York Times. Yes, absolutely. And I think not only remember, you you don't. We're just asking if there's any benefit from it when we can suck you dry. That's, no, no. That's <laughs> yes. First off, there's benefit because I think people know that we did it. I just do, and I think that people, even the people who may have read your synopsis, I think people still know that's what the New York Times does, 
And I think that's valuable. One of the fascinating Plus, a lot of people did read it. And then one of the other fascinating parts with the Amazon story was that the response, Amazon sent out its yeah. own response. They sent Jay Carney out. But a lot of the response, and this would never have happened in the, in, up until recently, was that you had employees, former and current Amazon employees, saying, I worked at Amazon. The New York Times right. story is wrong. And they posted it on LinkedIn. And then LinkedIn benefited as well. But um, there was never that sort of feedback mechanism. Did any of the feedback that you got from Amazon employees or anyone else on the internet, did that make you reconsider what you had done? No. Well, first off, I would I'm 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 going to disagree. I mean, we highlighted we did something we we sort of we aggregated the best comments that we got on the story, some, some some of which happened on your of, site. Yeah, and including some that where people didn't agree. I think if you sat down with a beer and read through the comments. And I did this, not with a beer, I did it with a cigar. On, on our site and elsewhere, most of the comment from Amazon employees, many of them signed, supported the story. So let's talk about that story. Mm -hmm. What were you trying to do, trying to do there? Because it, it was super controversial in Silicon Valley. I mean, most Silicon Valley people came out with, so, so what? So what? These people are making millions. So what if he's a jerk to them? And essentially, Silicon Valley <laughs> is is either you either get the Amazon, Oracle, Microsoft mean way, or you have the um, Google assisted living for millennials way. I mean, there's just <laughs> like, you know kind of thing. So it, it, there's a lot of companies. You like sure that. I can't afford you? No, you absolutely can't. <laughs> Um, but so you didn't work for free on Twitter. You can just take yes. the stuff and aggregate it. Um, but you, you, you have different points of view. Do you, one of the complaints, and I do agree with them, was the contextualizing of it. Is that there are lots of tech companies that aren't happy places where you know there's lots of banks, uh, there's lots of law firms, there's lots of all kinds of places that aren't nice to their employees. And that's what I'm wondering if you felt and that there should have been sort of a broader look at the See, whole I tech think, market. Well, I, I, I would say a couple. Because the reaction First, to technology was like, so what? Yeah. Um, I mean, I would say a couple things. That may have been the reaction in Silicon Valley. I'm still yeah. going to go back to the reaction that we got and the reaction from, there was more, more comments on the Amazon story than any story in New York Times history. Um, and most of it supportive of the story. I would say two things. First off, the thesis of the story, and you can, one can make their own judgment about whether this is good or bad, but the thesis of the story is that is that a type of working that may not only be common in Silicon Valley and is probably common at banks and other institutions, certainly law firms, the point we made, had been brought up, brought partly because of the arrival of data, partly because of the arrival of analytics, had been brought to a new level by Amazon. So first off, that's, that's part of the story. That it wasn't the same as the rest of Silicon yes, Valley. Yes, I think that's, that's an important distinction which we made clear in the story. The second thing is, I guess I never buy, I always recoil at the criticism that that story could have been written about anybody. Because I, I mean, I, don't, I think th that's almost like not a journalistic construct mm -hmm. to me. The journalistic construct was it was true, it was important, we made the case that there was something anomalous about Amazon, and then most importantly, and this is to me what the best journalism does, it sparked a vibrant debate about the workplace. I, I, I have one last Amazon question about that. Mm -hmm. You guys sent me an email on a Saturday morning saying, look at the story we published. Right. 
we think it's really cool. We, we want you to read about it. We, maybe it'd be great if you wrote three stories about it. Um, <laughs> we didn't say that. <laughs> that was me. It was sent from your PR department, so I'm, I'm guessing they wanted me to write about it. Why did you publish that story on a Saturday morning? You know, the one that's 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 a good question, and this is something we're still actually working on. I mean, here's the tension we have, and I, and, I, and I know you don't want to talk about print, but it's still there, and, and it generates about a billion dollars. Sunday, your Sunday. But print, period, because this is a print. This is a print construct. I mean, Sunday is probably responsible for like um, 40 percent of our revenue. But print still makes a ton of money for the New York Times. Print still has a hugely loyal readership. People who read the print New York Times, I'm probably the only person who's ever mentioned print, you know, one, spend like eight or nine hours a week with the New York Times. I'm not gonna ignore them, just for the record. So, so here's, the, here's, what, here's what the decision we make when we have a big story, whether it's Amazon or whether it's one of the ISIS takeouts we did or, or Walmart or whatever. We say, what's the best way to get this story read by as many people as possible? In, in, in the case of Amazon, my view was sometimes we run the, the nail salon series, we ran three or four days. We ran them online three or four days before they showed up in the print paper. Because I thought that that was the kind of story that wasn't going to, and I was wrong actually, wasn't quite going to resonate as powerfully and that people would be would pick up their Sunday paper and still feel an element of surprise. I didn't think Amazon was the was that kind. Of, I think I thought Amazon would resonate as soon as it hit. So, so just to spell it out, you were trying to protect the the readership of the Sunday paper. Yes, I'm trying to I'm trying to protect the value and the readership of the Sunday paper, the Sunday print New York Times, while also making that story available to as wide an audience digitally as possible. And who, and that's is, a tricky who is that competitor for the Sunday New York Times? It's just it makes a lot of money for you, so we want to keep it valuable to people it's not using. A, it's not a competitor. I, I, I think that I, I got to make it so, we have to make it so that the reader who picks up that Sunday print paper, which still has a huge audience and has been a more stable audience than the dailies for most newspapers. I still do, I do not want that person to pick that paper up and say, there's nothing in here that's a surprise to me. I read it all on Thursday. I read it all on Thursday. Now, that's tricky, right? We put the book review up early in the week. We put Arts and Leisure up early, the magazine. But I still got to make sure, in the back of my mind, and I still got to make sure that if you pick that thing up, you still say, well, here's one I didn't know about. And that's the way I felt about Amazon. I thought if we put Amazon up four days before the way we did with the nail story, people were going to pick up the Sunday paper and the thing we devoted the most real estate to, the most energy to, the most powerful visual presentation to, they were going to look at it and go, eh, and do like that. And I can't, I got to manage that balance. And it ain't easy, but I got to manage So that. Uh, we just have so one more question. Anyway. Mm -hmm. We have some questions. One more question. What do you, as the editor of the New York Times, you've been there a year? A little over a year. Um, is Jill here? We interviewed Jill last year. No, she might Maybe. be. She might be there. But how do you look at that transition? What do you think? What is the thing that most worries you in this digital age? Because, you know, I get your quality thing. We're trying to go for the quality thing also. But it's still, 
you know, it's still a problematic situation because you see what works on in lots of platforms. You see if you do something on Facebook, you see if you do something on Twitter, it actually works. And so you have to settle for a smaller audience. Do you think that's what eventually in New York, like high quality, smaller audience, or do you think you can continue to grow audience? I, I, I think actually, it's a tough argument. I actually think we can continue to grow audience. I don't think we've, we've, we're starting to see small upticks without a whole lot of effort in the international audience. And we're starting to, to set up a couple of projects to grow an international audience. I think there is. So through what? Not listicles, because I don't see you no. doing a listicle. No, but we, we, we do listicles. Yeah. I'll, Badly. I'll send you anyway. something. No, right. we do great listicles. Oh. I'm not going to hire no, you now. BuzzFeed, Peter, yeah. will you talk to Buzzfeed, me? I'm going to show her some listicles. BuzzFeed does the best listicles. I'm just saying, it's not your nature. No, of but, that. But, here's, but here's what I think. There is strong evidence in the international audience we have that people around the world want to read tough, aggressive, objective so international expansion. Coverage. Yes, I think that's going to be. I think that's a. I think that's a frontier we've not explored, and I think that there's a big opportunity for us to grow audience. So, what's this audience asking questions? We've been chastised. You need to speak into the microphone and identify yourself, Fred Graber from Twitter. I'm Fred Graver from Twitter. Hi. Oh, um, no. Yeah. So I enjoyed all this back right and there. forth where you're trying to hire each of them and talk about each of them. But, and you also mentioned that the newsroom needs to be aware of the fact that, the, that there's a whole business around them. It's a whole ecosystem of the paper. Is the paper also aware of the fact that all of their journalists are entrepreneurs, are brands, are businessmen in and of themselves? Yes. And That's if, not new. Well, okay, it might be a little, but it's a little different now because you've got this different. deal with Facebook. Yeah. People are reading Nicholas Kristof on Facebook. Yeah. It seems to me inevitable that at some point Mark Zuckerberg backs the truck up to Nick, Nick Kristof's home and says, how'd you like to reach a billion people a day rather than whoever's reading the New York That's Times? Not, that, I'm, I'm, I, I agree with you. That's not as new as people. I'm, it's, I'm, maybe it's because I'm getting older, but I actually find almost every big question that I have to grapple with now as editor of the New York Times feels like a question my predecessors grappled with. I mean, just the New York Times has always had big brands, whether it was Scotty Rest and Johnny Apple. On, I mean, it's, it's complete. It's, now they can become, they can become these guys. No, no, I agree. Well, first off, most of them don't want to. Most of them stay. Do I think, though, that part of my job now is to be a little more talent management than my predecessor? Absolutely. Do I think that one of my jobs is to hold on, well, Nick doesn't work for me, he works for the opinion side, but to hold on to David Leonhardt and whomever else as long as I can? Absolutely. Part of my job is to convince them that, I have, that this is a good home for them, but I also benefit from the fact that they have huge audiences. I benefit not only economically, but I, I keep saying this because it's really important to me. I think that the most important thing I can do is be read. That, that is not only good for the business of the New York Times, it's good for the mission of the New York Times. It's good for all of our missions to be read by many people and to have impact. So if Nick Kristoff has a gazillion people following him, and if those gazillion people want to read Nick Kristoff's take on the migrant crisis, fantastic. But are you worried about Mark Zuckerberg? I mean, that's, he, he asked that earlier tonight of Josh, that they start to do that, start to pay those people. I believe 
knowing most of these, that actually Nick Kristof wants to work for the New York Times. So it's the New York Times, that yes. kind of thing. Okay. I, don't, I, I would do it a little less musically. Okay, like, right. yes. It's Other the New York Times, though. <laughs> Next, well done. Hi, Ann Sarnoff, um, BBC, formerly The Journal with Kara. With millennials have, comprising 80, 80 million of the population, you said quality sells, but quality is in the eye of the beholder. I don't think you're going to do listicles, but I probably guess that you're going to be creating journalism in a different way. And yeah. how do you see that? Absolutely. So if it's the New York Times and these huge, you know, X thousand word pieces and the millennials aren't reading those, how do you maintain the brand of the New York Times and kind of adapt yourself to the modern age of, of I, snippets? Yeah, I don't, I don't think that that's just a, a millennial issue. I think that's a mobile issue. I think, I think we're going to have to tell, and, and we do it, and we have to do it more. I think we're going to have to experiment with different ways to tell stories. I think we're going to have to experiment with, you know, shorter stories. I think we're going to have to try all kinds of Give stuff. Give a good example of having done that just recently? Of short, we actually, we do do listicles. We do do explainers probably every day. Mm -hmm. I mean, I come in every day, believe it or not, and say, can you give me five reasons why people should give a damn about the migrant crisis? And we do that. We do that all the time. I think that's... I mean, I think that's journalistic. I think, I mean, having people understand it, I, if it, the most, my predecessors, and I'm not talking about my predecessors at the New York Times, I'm talking about my predecessors as editors, made the mistake and arrogantly said, take this 3,000 word story and eat it, because that's what I'm giving you. That's not journalistic to me. Journalistic is, I want you to care about the migrant crisis. If getting you to care about the migrant crisis means I'm going to give you listicles, I'm going to give you 3,000 word stories, I'm going to give you videos, I'm going to give you the whole goddamn thing because I want you to read it and I want you to care about it. And do we have to experiment more? Absolutely, but we will. And I don't, I don't think that's against the grain of what we do. So, and, and just I'm curious, and that, that's an interesting because the Amazon story, I'll be honest, I didn't finish it. I got to like about halfway through. I'm like, okay, Jeff Bezos is an asshole. He finished it. He got no, but he I didn't write three yes. articles about it. No, but I think. We're going to talk I think, after. I mean, <laughs> I'm 412 years old, but I got to the halfway point. And I'm like, okay, Jeff Bezos is an asshole. I got it. Okay, let's move on. And that's the kind of thing. It's like it, I want it digested in a different way. I definitely was hoping. It's just. Carol like, wants to read the Snapchat version. Yeah. Question here. Pass the microphone down so I don't get yelled at. <clears throat> Hi, my name is Anne Blinkhorn, and I'm a proud New York Times alumna from the business side, now an executive recruiter in the media business. And, um, Could you help me with that? <laughs> <laughs> um, building on what Anne Sarnoff mentioned, um, what, what are your projections on millennials and their consumption patterns with the print product? And assuming that the print product is going to be an increasingly small percentage of your overall business. What does the Times business look like 10 years from now? When sure. you, I think you're when asking, you're, is there going to be a print newspaper? Is there going question. to be a print newspaper? Yeah. You know, I, and what, I, are the then what does the overall business look like? Are you going to necessarily going to need to shrink the total business, just given the economics of print versus the economics of digital? Um, I don't know the answer to how long there's going to be a print. I mean, I bet most people thought that there would not be a sustainable print New York Times today. By the way, profitable every day, seven days a week. 
I mean, I don't think anybody thought that. I don't think anybody's got those economics. I mean, I'm talking every day a week. And, I'm, and I don't mean just advertising. I mean, people pay a ton of money for the Daily New York Times. I hope it lasts. That's the issue. You know what? Our, readers, our digital readership, first off, is pretty, our, our digital millennial readership, I'm going to do millennials, then I'll go to print. Our digital millennial readership is actually fairly high, and I wish I remember the numbers. Um, but print, do I think print's going to be around? What's your print millennial readership? I don't know. I actually don't <laughs> Just know. Just now you're right. I don't. But, do, but is your, like but is small, your question, right? I'm sure it's, it's more small. than digital, right? right. right. But, but do I think print's going to be around 50 years from now? Probably not. But here's the way, but here's the way, here's the way I regard print. First, anything we do, we have a growing digital business, as I said, $400 million a year in revenue, which, by the way, is significantly more, way more, than a lot of other news organizations that get a lot better press than we do. So it's huge. That's the first thing. The second thing, the way I regard the print business, it throws off tons of money that's going to help us build the digital business. I hope it lasts a long time. People care about it. We raise the price. They keep buying it. People love it. I hope it lasts a long time. That's the AOL dial-up argument. <laughs> I believe. It's, we, it, it is way outlasting the AOL dial-up. No, they're doing dial very well. Let should we, should we let question. a millennial ask this? Are you close enough? Are you millennial? Excuse me. Perfect. Right. Great. As a mobile first company, I had a question for New York Times, because you guys did something not too long ago, where you made all of your staff look at the New York Times mobile base, the right. app and the mobile web. I thought that was awesome. I was wondering what you guys took away from that. Yeah. And forced, uh, one last thing, sorry. The whole, going back to that whole Amazon article, it was incredibly long and being And you loved it, right? I'm like between millennial and like Gen X. Couldn't finish it either. So mobile web or, or app and that article, they don't mix well. So I'm really curious to know what you guys took away from that. By the, by the way, the, the Amazon story had huge engagement. I mean, one of the things the New York Times, those long stories have, People spend a long time with the long stories. They really do. I mean, it's it's surprising, but people 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 read them. And that's but just, why we love you. Huh? <laughs> I get it. But it's long. Right. Yeah. So, so back, to your, back to your your original I question before I, I apologize. What, what did you guys get from that experiment? Because yeah. you know, forcing your staff to use the publishers are struggling with it right now. Part of, part of what I mean, it, it's not a new idea. Others have done it too, but. Part of what my job is, and the, and the leadership of the newsroom is, to make, we have, we have a newsroom made up of very traditional journalists, um, most of whom actually want to change and shift for the digital era. But one of my jobs is to introduce them as much as possible to, I want them to think about not only print, I want them to think. And a lot of people came away saying, okay, I get it. A lot of them, it's changing the front page, the, the traditional front page meeting was, is partly sort of internal psychology leadership, I would argue. It's just a way to change the way people think. And that's what that experience, and it did. It makes, suddenly people said, okay, oh, I get it. Because not everybody in the New York Times, people of, a, of different generations, don't Although, consume all their news by phone. So it was designed to make them think about it's it. It's not a way. young old thing. I think one of your greatest change agents at the New York Times was David Carr. 
And yes. you know, both he and I are, you know, yes, I agree he, with that. He, he, he changed very quickly. David, David Carr's greatest, and I, I said this at his funeral, but I said David Carr's greatest accomplishment was being a relatively old guy who said to a whole generation of people, not only in my newsroom, but in other newsrooms, was what I just said, which is that, you know what, all that new stuff, that's really cool. Don't run away from that. It's going to make us better. Stop screwing around. And I think he did it with, he did it with integrity and fervor, and it's what I miss most about him. Absolutely. Leave it there, and Make so you guys there. can go off stage and talk no, about Kara's next contract. No, you're not. I can't afford her. She, we're gonna she's, she's negotiable. <laughs> no, I'm not. Uh, Dean, thank you very much for thank your time. You. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you.